0: Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. And uh, today's passage is a challenging passage. And uh, I think it's good to acknowledge this is challenging. There's some things in Scripture that are hard to understand, that are hard for us to grasp, and uh, we're going to try to help you today. Um, And so I've given this message the title... A warning, impending judgment, and God's mercy. So let's talk about judgment for a moment. And I mean just judgment in general. Punishment uh, for wrongs done is something we're actually comfortable with in our lives, if you think about it. Let me say that again. Punishment for wrongs done is something we're fairly confident with. Like in just life, right? Right? I think about uh, you know, situations that we see constantly in the news, that we see constantly on social media, things that have, that have happened, that have transpired, that are egregious wrongs, that are, are things people have done that are wrong, and it's, it's like a blaring uh, uh, sign for all to see. And, uh, and we're okay with people getting just recompense for the wrongs that they've done in general, I think I think about just even in our own hometown. Recently, there was a fire that was turned out to be arson. And so, when we find out that the person who set this fire and someone lost their life in this fire, then we know that justice is being served and judgment has is being rain is being given, and we're okay with that. We think that's. A good thing, if someone has done something we know to be wrong, and they get a sentence, a consequence, a punishment for the wrong that they truly have done, we're okay with that. We're okay with it when, when uh, we see it in the news and someone has murdered someone and therefore they have gone to prison or they received a, a sentence uh, and have to serve time, uh, maybe even a life sentence, and those things, though it's uncomfortable and though we hope that doesn't happen to our loved ones, that they're never in that situation, and all that, we're okay to an, to an extent with judgment and justice being given in a proper way, in a proper sentence, and for a proper reason. Often, actually, we actually demand justice be served. We demand judgment when we see injustices done or wrongs committed. Now oftentimes it, it has to do with, with our own view of things, and this can get very political as well. We're not going to do that today. But we, we demand for things to be figured out We demand for justice to happen when wrongs are done. And it's on every side of the aisle. But what's interesting, for some reason, we bristle when God gives correct and right judgment and justice for wrongs done. Our culture bristles, and we have phrases like, how could a loving God do blank? We're okay with justice on a human level, but when it comes to God, it's like we don't want Him to do. Why is that? Why is it that our society bristles at God being anything but, but quote-unquote what we determine as loving? There's a lot of people deconstructing their faith in this, these days and it oftentimes surrounds these types of concerns and conundrums that they're wrestling with and dealing with and trying to understand how God operates. The problem is, it's too often we expect God to either act like us or not act like us. Like we we are okay with justice being served, but we don't want God to do that. But at the same time, we want to be you know God to be all loving, and so we expect God to only be you know give sunshines and rainbows, right? Oh, it'll be okay, you know, poor little guy, you know. The fact of the matter is that. If you think about it, it is unloving, unloving to allow people to continue to live in damaging behavior. We we wouldn't do this with our children. If our child is reaching for a hot stove, we're not going to let them, we're not going to allow them and let them just go right for it and touch it and just, well, you know. They'll be okay. Maybe you would. Most of us wouldn't. We wouldn't let our child, a child, our, our, our young children who's still in our care, we wouldn't let them continue um, doing something that will harm them, we will warn them when something is dangerous. And that could be a hot stove. That's easy. But that could be like we talked about a few weeks ago when we said, hey, there's potholes ahead. Watch out for those. We should be... It would be unloving just to let our kids go and, and find whatever they find without us actually letting them know it's up ahead if we know what they're doing or what they might do is wrong or is dangerous. In the same way, God's judgment is oftentimes More of him just pulling back his hand of protection off of folks who continue to be rebellious and just allow what would naturally occur to happen. And then we say, How could you do that, God? The just reward for sin is no longer stayed or held back by him. And I think it's important to understand these things as we look at Revelation chapter 8. And we will see God enacting judgment and that is going to be hard for us to wrestle with. Hard for us to understand. But we must understand it. And we must look at these passages. And and I hope you'll see why as we look. Would you, if you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? We're going to read chapter... Eight, verses 1 through 9. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar. In front of the throne, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up into the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Maybe see be seated. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. In this passage... We see three things that we must interact with. There's an action we must consider based on each one of these three consequences that have happened because the clashing of two kingdoms has finally come in this passage. We've been talking about that. We're not surprised that this impending moment is coming. It's just hard to read it. It's hard to understand it. It's hard to know what to take away from it and how to apply it to our life. What would would if, you know, if you came in today for an encouraging message, I think I have one for you, but it's kind of, it was like, where, we got to get there, you know? This is, this is hard. This is, this is tough. This is challenging. How does this apply to my life? What do I do with this? How do I respond? What do I do with this passage? Notice that when the seventh seal is open, all of heaven is silent for 30 minutes. Why silence? Well, I think it's helpful for us to understand other passages of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament passages, where this kind of thing happens, where this silence is found. Habakkuk 2.20, Zephaniah 1.7 In Zechariah 2.13, each one uh, from these prophets, each of these passages indicates silence needed prior to the action of our God. In fact, it's a, it's a, a command in most of them to say, Be silent before the Lord. Be silent before He acts. Be silent before He does what He does. I think what we see in these passages and you look them up, if you'd like, in another time, write them down and look them up. But in each one, I think we see a sense of reverence, a sense of reverence here as God on his throne. Um, I love uh, C.S. Lewis's writings, particularly "The Chronicles of Narnia." And I, I love the film adaptation. Of the Lion Witch and the Wardrobe. And I think about that moment when when they're in the, an encampment. And uh, if you remember that story or not, Edward, one of the brothers, he's kind of gone with the Good Witch. And the other three kids are, are there. They've kind of learned that they're uh, these, these kings and queens of Narnia and that they're a part of this whole bigger thing, this bigger battle, this bigger war. And all of a sudden, Aslan, the lion, kind of comes prancing through it, not really prancing, he's just majestically floating through there. And what happens? Everyone is silent. Everyone is silent as the king enters, as the lion enters, as the, the king enters. And, and if you understand, C.S. Lewis was a Christian, and so this is an allegory. These, uh, every one of these chronicles is an allegory, a story, a, a parable, if you will, to help us see something about his Savior, about Jesus. And so Aslan is a figure that is allegorically representing Christ. And so in a way, we kind of see the king on the throne. We see this moment of silence. And maybe you pick another movie that has a similar situation where the king is there and we're waiting for him to act and see what he's going to say and what he's going to do. That's what's happening here in this moment is... As everyone opens this final seal, they know judgment is impending. They know that God is going to act, and they are silent, waiting for Him to do what He has to do with authority, with with His glory. And just like there was an impending battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, we know that there's an impending battle here. It's been waging all along this war, and it's just got to come finally to an end, and it's that moment that they're anticipating and realizing, and there's this sense of reverence here. However, however I believe it also points to the fact that nobody is celebrating this. No one's excited about this. No one is, is antici- or looking forward to what is about to take place. No one's up there shouting, Yeah, give it to them! They're silent. They're silent. So what I think we see, the first thing we see in this passage is that though judgment must come. And we understand that. We understand that judgment must come. We understand that there must be recompense for wrongs done. We, we realize that. We understand that in our life. But though judgment must come, Will we celebrate it? Will we celebrate it? And I hope the answer is no. Because it's not even being celebrated in heaven. This moment of, of just silence and anticipation and sitting in this moment of tension of like, this has to happen, but we're not looking forward to it. That's where we should sit. That's where we should be not anticipating or looking forward to the judgment that must come, but sitting in it wishing it did not have to come. Everyone here in this passage know, knows that judgment is impending, and it must come, but no one in heaven or on earth, and John's vision is elated about it. They're somber. they're somber. So there's a principle here I think we can understand and apply in our own lives that judgment for sin and rebellion will and must come but it's not something we should be waiting for in anticipation or celebration but that we wait for it somberly and reverently. God is about to exert His rightful authority and no one's excited about it but we, mo- we know it must take place. Now, I think that we must also acknowledge, even though that this is hard to hear, there is good news here. There's a silver lining in a way, and hang with me for just a moment. I know that may sound strange. But what we see in this moment is that God actually cares. God actually cares that People act correctly and right. You see, God is not just some faraway, distant God looking on and just saying, well, they screwed it up again. But He is intimately interested and cares about the affairs of people. Consider this quote from a man named Darrell Johnson. He says, although I would rather not have to write on it or preach it, it is good news. He's talking about this passage. Good judgment is good news? Yes, it is. For judgment says God cares. Judgment says we and our choices matter to God. Judgment says God takes evil and sin seriously. Judgment says God is not indifferent to nor tolerant of evil and sin. Judgment says that God moves against evil and sin. So we see first, though judgment must come, we, will we celebrate it? And I pray the answer is no. The second thing we see here is that a warning alarm is already sounding. Will we heed it? Look here in this passage, and we see these trumpets being blown. We see we, We've looked at the first two so far. And we'll continue to look at the other uh, of the seven. But I think it's important that we understand that in the Old Testament, trumpets were used to sound a warning a lot of times. Not all the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. I want you to consider Joel 2.1. It says this, "'Blow the ram's horn or trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain.'" Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. So a warning went off, a, a trumpet from the high mountain, so that everyone could hear and see that something is about to happen, something dangerous, something difficult. Judgment in this case, because it's that terminology of the day of the Lord. That indicates judgment, the judgment that God will enact. Also, Ezekiel 33, 3 through 6 says this. And suppose he sees a sword coming out of the land and blows his ram's horn to warn the people. The trumpet. Then in, if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet but ignores the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his death will be his own fault. See, there's a trumpet. It's sounding, it's blasting to warn you. And if you didn't do anything to make sure that it was that you knew it was gonna happen, you didn't do anything to protect yourself it's your own fault. Since he heard the sound of the ram's horn but ignored the warning, his death is his own fault. If he had taken warning he would have saved his life. However, suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the ram's horn so that the people aren't warned and the sword comes and takes away their lives then they will have been away because, been taken away because of their iniquity and and I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. You see, This trumpet sound has been sounding for some time. Here in Revelation, we see it sounding again. But listen, the, the trumpet sound is already sounding. The warning cry to turn your life around, to acknowledge that the day of the Lord must come, and if you don't heed it, it's your own fault. You see, the Lord is gracious and kind we're going to see that in a moment as we look at a passage from the New Testament uh, in First Peter, or in Second Peter. But what we understand is that He is gracious because He's blowing the trumpet for us to hear. It's not an audible thing necessarily, but we can see it. We can see it when we look at the news, when we look into the world. We can see it when we see all the things taking place. We can see that the the judgment is coming. There is a warning sound already ringing throughout history saying, Turn to Jesus. He can save you. But if you don't heed his call, it will be in vain. And it will be your fault. And here in Revelation 8, God is answering the cries for action against injustice from Revelation 6 and the fifth seal and the martyred saints under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? Here He is acting against the kingdom of this world and its injustices and its evils and its sins. If we look long enough, we know that the sounding alarm is already going off. And if we slow enough and listen, we'll hear it. We hear it in the nations where it's illegal to be Christians and people's lives are continually in danger for their faith in God and belief that Jesus is the only way, yet they worship Him even in the midst of their fear, uh, the, the fear that they will face death themselves. We hear it in the warning trumpet sounding when, when our culture and its ideals blare in our ears trying to get us to capitulate to whatever wind is currently blowing. Will we heed the alarm and help others to hear and heed it in their own lives? Friends, judgment will be enacted one day, once and for all, and in that moment, it will be too late. So though this is hard, it's important to hear and acknowledge and understand that though impending judgment is waiting, it is not too late now. And we must tell others. We must sound the trumpet to our own families, to our own friends, to our own neighbors, to let them know that Christ loves them, cares about them, and wants to show them mercy. And that's the third thing we see here. Through it all, we still see God's mercy. The question is, and the action we must take is, will we share it? Will we share His mercy with others? Notice, as these judgments are hurled upon the earth, they only affect a fraction of the people and of the nature. It says one-third, and it's likely it doesn't mean literally one-third. It's a terminology that just helps us to see a portion. It's not half. It's not two-thirds. It's just a third. So God is still merciful because the people underneath this judgment, the earth against whom he uh, comes against, this kingdom of this world, is all worthy of judgment. Yet He still holds it back even in this final moment, even in this judgment that is coming across. It means God is still merciful because He is perfect in His judgments. He could cast the harshest sentence for the entirety of those who have gone astray, yet He does not do that. Only a fraction. And this is where I'm reminded of what Peter says in 2 Peter 3 1 through 13. And normally I'd want you just to stay in Revelation, but I encourage you to turn there if you can. It's not on the screen because I didn't give it to him in time. So but turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. And I want you to see this. Because this is our hope. And Peter is talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about this same moment, inspire the Holy Spirit. He helps people and he pleads with people and he wants them to see, yes, judgment is coming, but we have hope. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you in both letters. I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the Holy Prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through the apostles. Above all, be aware of this, Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, Where is He coming that He promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this. By the word of, the, by the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through, the, through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for the fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See that impending judgment, Peter acknowledges as well. But then he says this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you. You know what patient means? Merciful. He is merciful with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth will and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear that what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. As you wait for the day of the God and hasten its coming, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. And, but based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You see in verse 9, that's our focus in this moment, as we see that though judgment must come against the ungodly, the Lord does not delay his promise, as he understands, delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish. Yes, judgment must come, but God is patient and merciful beyond measure. The question is will we tell others? Will we live in such a way that we know judgment is coming and tell everyone we can that they have a way to avoid what is coming? And will He help people trust in Jesus' mercy who gave His own life so people could find eternal life in Him? That's our job. The answer is, I hope Yes, and I pray that will be true for us, that we will tell others as we go, that we will tell others how to find the mercy of God in the midst of what will come. So there is a warning. There is an impending judgment, but God is still merciful. Here's the prayer today for you. If I, maybe somebody's here today who's yet to receive that merciful love of Jesus Christ in your own life. What greater example do we have than two, or two young uh, preteen guys and their dad trusting in the Lord, following him in baptism today? My prayer, maybe someone else would find that hope and that life in Christ even today. If that's you, you come. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray that might be you today. But I pray that we would all understand that it is our job to go out into this world and to all the people that we have and sound the trumpet alarm and say, you can, uh, judgment is coming, but you can find respite. You can find safety in the arms and in the love and the death of Christ. May we share with our friends. May we share with others. Let's pray, and if God is moving in your heart, you follow Him. God, we've heard your words. It's hard. It's tough. I don't delight in sharing this kind of thing. It's hard. It's tough. It's, it's challenging. But, God, it is important for us to see. Help us. Not only to see, but to hear and to heed and to listen and to do. Today, I pray that you would work in this moment, God, because we need you to work as only you can. to so move us aside, move me aside. And you work today in people's lives today, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, we're going to sing. and.